Our New Testament reading today is from, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we're going to pick up in verse 39, but I think it's appropriate, given the way that section begins, to set some context. Jesus is speaking to the Jews who had believed him, back in verse 31. But these are also the Jews who considered themselves free in their father Abraham. So picking up John chapter 8, verse 39. They, the Jews, answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And our sermon text today is in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And thank you, Ray. Uh, it's a great joy uh, to introduce uh, again uh, to our pulpit uh, Lyndon Fleeman. Uh, hearing Lyndon preach has become one of our summer traditions, and so uh, we're, we're thankful for that, that he's back with us today. Um, we don't, uh, the elders of this church don't relinquish the pulpit uh, lightly, and it's with great joy and great confidence that we turn uh, this sacred ground right here over to Lyndon for the next little while. Uh, Lyndon goes way back. Uh, he's one, probably one of the original solid rockers. Uh, may have been one of the uh, 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 famous uh, loft divers, diving off the rail of our loft into the pillow pit below in the living room. But he's never confessed that to me, so I don't know. But uh, I just know that a lot of strange things happen on the top spin the night parties uh, at our home. Uh, and I'm learning them as I get older, you know. So anyway, uh, but Lyndon, I don't know. But you don't have to. I'm not trying to pull anything out of you. You do as the Lord leads. And you come, uh, you come preach for us today, brother. We love you, and we're thankful for you and your family, and glad you're with us today. Come on up. Thank you, brother. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Can y'all hear me? Is this on? Yeah, there's some confessions of sin that probably don't need to happen, and so... Uh, I don't think I will do that today, <laughs> uh, but uh, those were some good days, and I um, definitely owe a great debt of love to this church and its investment into me and even to my family, and uh, it, it's definitely impacted me. It's molded me, and so I've carried that out into my life and into ministry, and so I, I do owe so much to this church and um, so appreciative of it, and I know there's a lot of new faces and people who have joined RCC, and we look forward to, to getting to know some of you as well and, and, and hearing your story and how God has been working in your life and, and even how RCC has used uh, the gospel ministry in your life. So I thought I would just give a, a quick update. We, we serve with Mission to the World and let you know what's going on in our world. And so um, it's been a little bit of a slow process. Uh, we've been, we're going to Belgium to serve there in church planting, to work with immigrants and refugees and college students, and we're excited about this call yet. But if you've been talked to any missionaries or anything, you know there's always this thing called visas that you need. And if you've interacted with missionaries, you know that's never a for sure thing. There's always obstacles. And so of course, as we started this visa process, we've hit some obstacles. And the visa that we were hoping to get as our home office began to look at this visa, uh, there were things that the Belgian government was asking from us and from uh, MTW that they were concerned about. And so they axed that first visa. So now we're on to our second visa to work, working on that right now. And so uh, even as Justin prayed, please pray for that. Pray that it will be a smooth process and that uh, God's favor and blessing will be on that and we'll be able to get to Belgium quickly. Uh, 
You never know these things, but our hope and prayer is to be there this fall, short, early fall, is hopefully when we, Lord willing, can get there. But we'll, you know, these are things that we just have to pray about. So please join us in prayer for that. So let me say a a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll get into the text here this morning. Heavenly Father, we uh, ask your blessing upon your word, God, that you would bless it. The Lord, that what we need to hear this morning that you would take your truth, the truth of your gospel, that you would edify us and build us up in the most holy faith that we may give you glory in all things. So Holy Spirit, please come now and glorify your son Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, the first point we're going to look at this morning is the blind man who sees. And so now, this may be a familiar text. You've probably looked at particularly the Zacchaeus text, but these two texts with the blind man and then Zacchaeus, these texts, I think you'll see as we go along, they really are one literary unit. And so you'll see, I think, a lot of parallels as we're going through this. So as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, it's Passover. They're heading near Jericho. Jericho is 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And so as he comes in uh, to Jericho, there's this blind man who is begging. And now we're going to have three uh, characters in this story. We're going to have Jesus, of course. We're going to have the crowd, and we're going to have the blind man. And in the next narrative, the blind man and Zacchaeus are going to switch spots. And so I really want to recommend a book here, Kenneth Bailey's book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Cultural studies in the gospel is really helpful in in understanding this passage, but even a lot of the gospel stories. And so it even confirmed things that we had seen in Central Asia. Uh, I definitely recommend that book if you're doing any studies in the gospels. So who is this crowd? Now, where did they come from? Now, no doubt there would have been pilgrims who were heading up for Passover, and so they got to head through Jericho to go to Jerusalem. So there were definitely some of those people there. Uh, you know, there are probably pilgrims that are following Jesus. Jesus is in his third year of public ministry. I mean, he was famous. People wanted to be around him, and so there are probably people following him. But I would suggest that mainly this crowd is made up of citizens of the large city of Jericho. Now, why would I think this? Well, in this part of the world, when you had an important guest, someone famous like this, they would go outside the city. The citizens go outside the city so they could escort their famous guest, their honored guest, into the city as a way of showing honor to them. And as they would do this, uh, there would be expected hospitality that would be shown. There would be some sort of banquet that would be held for them. Uh, there would be expected to spend the night at one of the prominent citizens of the city, maybe the mayor, someone like that. And so that is what is taking place here. Now, Mark 10 and Matthew 20 each also record an account of the blind man. In Matthew's account, he tells us that there's two blind beggars. We'll just focus on one this morning because Luke's account is focusing on one. But uh, Matthew's account actually, Mark's account actually tells us the beggar's name. And his name is Bartimaeus, which is translated son of honor. Now, Jericho was a very prosperous city because of its trading. And so this would have been the perfect place to beg. And I think you probably know beggars in this part of the world in this time, they were seen as outcasts. They were shameful. Hence, the irony of his name, son of honor. We just get a little hint that there's something going on with this narrative, right? So let's go back to our story. So Bartimaeus, he hears the crowd and he inquires, 
what is going on? And the crowd responds, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this isn't just any cry. This is the cry of one who is oppressed, who is seeking deliverance. Like the cries that go up in the Psalms for deliverance out of an oppressive situation, that is the kind of prayer, that is the kind of cry that this blind man has. Well, how does the crowd respond? The crowd begins to rebuke him. They literally are telling him to shut up. They are trying to silence him. But he continues to crowd all the more. Perhaps, perhaps uh, we're not told why the crowd does this. Maybe it's because they did not want this famous teacher bothered by this shameful, filthy beggar. Perhaps it would rain on their parade as they're bringing in their honored guests in this display. They don't want to rain on this perfect parade that's going on. We're not told exactly why. But obviously, they had not been paying close attention to Jesus' ministry in the last three years. He always had time for those who needed deliverance, who needed mercy, who needed healing. Well, there were many in the crowd. It was a huge crowd. And it probably would have been very difficult to hear Bartimaeus as he cries out. So how is he able to get Jesus's attention? Well, I think there's two things to look at here. One, his persistence. He would not be silenced. He cries out, son of David, have mercy. He could not be quieted. But secondly, and more importantly, I think it's the title with which he addresses Jesus. You see, for him, for the crowd, it was Jesus of Nazareth. But to Bartimaeus, it was Jesus, son of David. And this title is rarely used of Jesus in the Bible here. But make no mistake, this title, it was a messianic title. This was David's great son who was ruled on the throne forever. And this is how he is addressing. He realized this is the Messiah and he is the one who has come to rule and can bring mercy and deliver mercy to him. So what happens next? Well, Jesus stops and he commands the beggar to be brought to him. And don't miss the irony here. You know, the crowd who is rebuking Bartimaeus has now been turned into the servants of the son of David to bring the blind man to him. Uh, it's an indirect rebuke on the crowd. And so, what is, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus responds, oh Lord. Let me recover my sight. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now this made you well in the Greek, this is, it means this faith has saved him. As commentator Daryl Bach wrote, quote, the healing pictures the presence of a deeper reality beyond the restoration of his sight. His faith has saved him. Light exists where darkness previously had resided, end quote. This man who was oppressed with blindness and sin has been freed from his physical and his spiritual ailment. Now, how do we know that his faith was genuine? Well, we can see that it was a persevering faith. He wouldn't be silenced. He had to get to Jesus. We see that. But look at his response when he is healed. He begins to follow Jesus, glorifying God. The crowd who rebuked him earlier joins Bartimaeus in praising God. The one who was oppressed has received mercy. Now let us return back 
to Jesus and Bartimaeus' interaction. So why did Jesus ask him, what do you mean to do for you? I mean, Jesus, duh, does it, don't you know what he wants? He's blind. Doesn't he, he want to recover his sight? Why did you ask him that question? And perhaps it's like prayer. The Lord knows our needs, but he wants them, us to come into prayer and voice them uh, in dependence of our need of him. And I think that's certainly here, but I think it runs way deeper than that. Now, why would I say that? Well, it helps to know something about beggars in this culture. Even though begging was a lowly and shameful position, it was also a recognized position in the community. Someone with a very obvious handicap like Bartimaeus, blindness, was validated by the community and allowed to beg. It means that he had no one to provide for his needs, so he had to go and beg to be able to provide a living for himself. But you see, the beggar also offers an important service to the community. What, what offers a service to the community? What do you mean? Well, the Lord had commanded the people to care for the poor. The beggar gave the community a chance to give to God by giving alms to the beggar. He gave the opportunity to the people to fulfill their obligation to him. Uh, If he helps, think of Acts 3. You remember the beggar where John and Peter come up to him in a very public place. Uh, The beggars would, would be in a very public place and they would shout out, Give to God! Give to God! As they would pass by. And when a beggar received money, when someone gave them money, they would begin to shout how noble and how pious and how godly this person was. And they would begin to invoke blessings and success on them, on their family, on their associates. And uh, they, they begin, the giver would begin to get a reputation as someone who was honorable, someone who was pious in the community. Uh, Think of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. If you remember Jesus' teaching uh, not to give in order to be seen by people, which is what the hypocrites do, let your giving be done in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you in secret. Again, backing up this idea of this this public display uh, with the beggar and with the giver. Now, the beggar, having the handicap of blindness, means that he was assured he would be able to provide a nice living for himself through begging. And the beggar, he probably had no training. He probably had no network of contacts or vocational skills. And so if he is healed, this is going to be a difficult path for him to be able to provide for himself. And before Jesus, he could have asked for food. He could have asked for money. I mean, this is the son of David. He could have asked for some sort of continual supply of support. But he doesn't ask for those things, does he? Instead, he wants to be healed. And God's grace flows through Christ to him. And it is beautiful and it is free, but it's not cheap. As we will see in the following chapters, uh, this is not a cheap grace. It's going to cost Jesus a lot. And even Bartimaeus, as he follows Christ, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles for him. His faith is going to cost him. And as we look at this deliverance, as we see this mercy shown to Bartimaeus, do you have something in your life that is oppressing you? Do you have a bondage or a slavery in your life? 
Is there an idol that is wearing you down? Perhaps it's children. Children are a wonderful gift from God. But if we put them before the Lord, it can become a crushing weight that begins to weigh on us when things don't work out the way we want them to work out. Perhaps it's career. If I can have my career just in the right place, or as a student, if I can get grades, if I can achieve this, if I can be on this team, or if I can do this thing, if I can get here, then my life is going to be exactly the way I want it, and I will be content and happy, yet it's just chasing after the wind. It never comes. Perhaps it's your phone or technology or social media. You're so consumed, you're so absorbed into this, this you can't seem to get away. It's, it's taken a life of its own and you're trapped in this and you're trying to get out, but it, you just can't seem to free yourself from all of this stuff. Or maybe it's the dungeon of pornography. You're chained and just can't seem to get delivered. You can't seem to get free. But take heart. Look at the blind man whom the crowd tries to separate, but he would not let the crowd separate him. And don't let this thing in your life, don't let it stop you from getting to Jesus, who is the son of David, who is the source of life. He can bring light and life and deliverance and grace that you need. And so run to him this morning that you may have healing and that you may have deliverance from him. Well, our second point this morning is the rich tax collector whose spiritual debt is forgiven. Well, as the crowd flows into Jericho with their honored guest, the assumed hospitality, again, would be to have a great banquet with the honored citizens of the city, again, spending the night at one of these prominent citizens' house. But Jesus is just passing through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And so obviously the crowd would have been disappointed by this. Uh, They had to go ahead and cancel uh, the butcher. Hey, don't kill the fattened calf. They had to go to the baker, stop the cake, the, the, the banquet's off. And so they would have been disappointed what's going on. And then who else comes onto the scene but our dear friend Zacchaeus. Now, the passage tells that he's not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, Jericho, again, was a very wealthy and prominent city, known for its vast trading. So this was a major tax collection center. And a chief tax collector would have been a very important and noble position uh, in the city. But I think you uh, know that he was not esteemed. How were tax collectors seen in this time? They were regarded as thieves and traitors. Why? Well, they were collaborating with the rulers of the land, the Romans, to collect more taxes, and they would collect more than was needed, but they would take a nice cut for themselves, hence why uh, Zacchaeus is so wealthy. And he wasn't just a crooked tax collector. He was a chief crooked tax collector. He was like the chief of sinners. But then we get a hint here. Do you know what Zacchaeus' name means? Well, ironically, it means the righteous one. So we get some kind of clue that something is going on with this story. Well, Zacchaeus, he had heard about Jesus, and he really wanted to see him. But he runs into this problem. 
It's that crowd again, that fickle crowd. I hope you're again seeing some of these parallels with our previous passage here. And what does it tell us why he can't get to Jesus? Because he's short. He's short in stature. He's a little guy. Now, I hope you can see the humor here. You know, as Luke is pinning this account, can you see Luke smiling? I mean, this is a very humorous story. I mean, this little guy, he wants to see Jesus. He can't see him. The crowd's too big. I mean, you can see why this finds its way into many children's uh, Bible storybooks. But have you ever thought about why this crowd was stopping Zacchaeus? I mean, couldn't Zacchaeus just push his way through the crowd and get to the front so he could see Jesus? Or better yet, I mean, he held an important position as a chief tax collector in the city. He, couldn't he go along and just the crowd make a way along with all the other prominent and honorable, important men of the city, go to the way to, all the way to the front so they could see Jesus and see the parade pass that way? Well, he was, you know, the people were expected to respect and honor him when he was in his chief tax collector office or booth. They were expected to honor him. But out in the street, it was a different story. If he was to try to push his way through the crowd, it had been very easy for the crowd, somebody in the crowd, to grab a knife and to stab him to death. And then as the crowd moves along, there would be Zacchaeus' body right there in the street with the people responsible long gone. And even if they had witnessed it, I'm not sure anybody would have said, oh, yeah, we know who did it. Uh, so this was a very dangerous proposition for him. When he was out in public, he had to be very careful. He had to watch his back. Well, he really wants to see Jesus. And being clever, he comes up with this plan. Well, I'm going to go ahead and run ahead, and I'm going to climb up a sycamore tree before Jesus passes that way. Maybe uh, Ty can lead us in the Zacchaeus song later on. <laughs> Maybe if you know that song. I'm hearing that children today don't know this song as much. I, I was preaching this in a church, and they didn't know the Zacchaeus song. So maybe we need to learn that this morning. Uh, so have you ever thought about why it mentions the sycamore tree? There's some important things about sycamore trees. They were planted outside the city. They were not allowed to be planted inside. So Jesus has already passed through the city. He's on the outskirts of the city at this point. But a sycamore tree, it has a really short and thick trunk. But it has these big, wide, long branches with lots of leaves. So it was perfect for climbing and hiding in. Hence why Zacchaeus wants to go there and do this. But this story, it's interesting. It's going from odd. Again, you got the chief tax collector who is the righteous one. That doesn't seem to make sense. But now it's going into strange. Why? Because in this country, in this part of the world, grown men do not run down the street. And assuredly, they do not climb trees. That is very disgraceful, especially for honorable, important men of the city. They definitely do not run down the street and climb trees. Now, children are allowed to run down the street and climb trees. That's appropriate, but not grown men. So this gives us a window into the heart of Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know if he's operating in faith just yet, but it does, he does have this intense desire to see Jesus, and he will go to great lengths to humiliate himself just to get a glimpse of Jesus. It's interesting. This small man is acting like a child. Very childlike behavior. Now, in the previous chapter in Luke, uh, the parents are trying to bring their children to Jesus to bless him. I think you remember this story. 
And of course, Jesus rebukes his disciples and let the children come to me. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So again, it gives us a little window again into uh, who Zacchaeus is and what's going on. Well, we know the story, right? When Jesus reaches the place, he stops and he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, you traitor, you wicked man, come down from this tree, quit your job, repent of your sins, head to Jerusalem, offer the appropriate sacrifices to make yourself ceremonially clean, come back, apply yourself to the law of God, and if you do this, I will come to your purified house and be your guest on my next visit. And the crowd responds with thunder and applause and their hoorays. Wait, children, is that what happens right here? Is that what happens? No. That's what we would expect Jesus to do. We would expect Jesus to call this collaborating, crooked uh, person right out, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. And Jesus gives him a command, and he hurries, and he comes down. And he doesn't say just, hey, Zacchaeus, can I stay at your house? Notice the language here, I must. That word in Greek, literally, it is necessary that I stay at your house. Now, make no mistake. Now, this stop at the house isn't a stop by to have a cup of tea and some dessert and head on back down the road toward Jerusalem. No, we're talking about full-blown host guest, Eastern hospitality, bring out the fine china, uh, kill the fattened calf, entertainment, giving toast, spending the night in the best sleeping quarters. That's what kind of uh, spending the night we're talking about here. That's what kind of stop we're talking about. Apparently, uh, Jesus has changed his mind and he's going to stay the night and he's going to do so at Zacchaeus' house. Now, this story has gone from strange, it was odd, it's strange, now it's gone to bizarre. Uh, I have never seen this in Central Asia or amongst Middle Eastern people. In fact, I don't think I've seen this in any culture where guests initiate invitations to the host. In this part of the world, there are special social rules, cultural rules that hosts initiate these invitations. For example, if you have an important person, an honorable person, a guest coming into your community or amongst your group of people, they would gather and they would decide, okay, who needs to host this person? What level of hospitality do we need to show to this person to make sure that we honor them appropriately? And in, do, in so doing, this would bring honor upon the people who were receiving their guests. And these are very important rules in this part of the world. And Jesus decides, you know what, I'm not going to play by these rules. I'm just going to turn these rules up on their head and initiates this invitation. So how does Zacchaeus respond? Well, he hurries down the tree, again, like a child, because there's no dignified way to climb down a tree. And he says, this is great, Jesus, but can you wait for tomorrow? Uh, let me go ahead to my house and make the appropriate preparations to receive you well. Wait, children, is that what he said? That's not what he said either. Now, that's what I would have said. <laughs> Hold on, Gemma, wait, let's make sure we have the house, everything's ready. Let me go, let me go check with, he doesn't do that. What does it say? It says that he received him and that he received him joyfully. Now the crowd, they see this and they begin glorifying God of God's mercy being shown to Zacchaeus, right? 
wait, that's not what happens either. What does the crowd say? No, they begin to grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's interesting, the crowd, they can rejoice at the mercy shown to the blind man, the oppressed. But when it comes to showing mercy to an oppressor, to an enemy, they have a limit to their grace. They have a limit to what they can rejoice at the mercy being shown to this oppressor in the chief tax collector. Well, Jesus and his disciples, they go to Zacchaeus' house. And again, he unleashes uh, Eastern hospitality in full measure. Uh, there would have been uh, enough food to feed an army. Again, remember, he's wealthy. So this would have been a lot of food. There would have been the best wine. Uh, there would have been t- entertainment. Uh, and it was not uncommon as this evening was going on that the host would stand up and give some sort of blessing or some sort of speech um, or a toast, think of that, of a wedding, something like that. And so Zacchaeus does stand up and he says, Behold, Lord. And notice how Zacchaeus is addressing Jesus. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Zacchaeus having received this unexpected grace from the Lord Jesus, responds to his holy guest by giving half of his wealth to the poor. And Judaism, it was generous. If you give just 20% of one's possessions to the poor, well, he goes well beyond that. He's going to give half. And when you steal something in this time, legal restitution required that you pay back what you stole plus 20%. He goes well beyond that and says, I'll pay back fourfold for what I have defrauded people. By his actions, it's showing that now he is operating with a changed heart, a heart that has faith. Well, not uncommon, when a host would stand up and give some sort of blessing or speech, uh, the guests would often respond in kind, and so Jesus does. He responds to Zacchaeus and he says, today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus commends Zacchaeus' actions by declaring that salvation has come to him. And more importantly, that he is a son of Abraham, not just ethnically a son, but a spiritual son of Abraham, our father in the faith. And so now this banquet has turned into a full-fledged celebration. What has started out as odd and then went to strange and then to bizarre has arrived at extraordinary. And just like Bartimaeus, his newfound faith is going to cost him. You know, working in this crooked tax industry with these crooked people uh, is going to be difficult with his newfound faith going to make amends to the community that he is wrong and stole from, it's not going to be a walk in the park. But whatever, again, (laughs) it costs Zacchaeus. He is willing to pay that cost because of the treasure that he has in Christ. Is your faith costing you anything? Like Zacchaeus, are you willing to become like a child 
in your pursuit of Jesus. Zacchaeus was willing to be humiliated. Are you willing to go to any lengths to follow Jesus? Are you willing to be humiliated? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to be ostracized by people at work, neighbors, or even sometimes close friends? I think it's pretty easy to see what was Zacchaeus's idol, what was his God before Jesus comes on the scene. I, I think it's pretty clear it's wealth. But when he sees Jesus, the treasure of heaven, the prince of heaven come, he was willing to give away his goods. He was willing to give away his money to follow Christ. He didn't care if he was humiliated. He didn't care what it was going to cost him. If he got to be Jesus's, he was willing to give those things away. And I think as we look at that, as we see the faith that he has given, the mercy that has been shown to us, let us run after him in childlike dependence as well. This last point, and this is a, a, a short point, the seeking, saving Messiah. So what makes these last two events of Jesus' ministry so important before he's heading into uh, Passion Week. So next week is Passion Week, and these are the last two major events that happened before this week that he goes up to Jerusalem. Why are these so important? Well, the passage before the blind man in Zacchaeus, Jesus predicts his humiliation, his death, his uh, resurrection for the third time to his disciples. And in Luke 18:34, it tells us their response. They did not understand these things. They did not grasp them. See, these two events, the blind man and Zacchaeus, it tells the disciples and it tells us what kind of Messiah is Jesus. There is no one that is too far from God that God will not grant mercy to the oppressed, but also grace to the oppressor that he can grant mercy to the weak, but also to the enemy. To be the Messiah means to seek and to save the lost. Well, let us go back to this visit at Zacchaeus' house. Now, you remember the crowd wanting to honor their special guest, hold this grand banquet and show this uh, hospitality. Jesus passes on all of this to go to the most unclean host, a collaborator, a chief of sinners, to dine in his unclean house, his unclean table. Because back then, if you were a great sinner like he was, everything that you possessed was considered unclean. And Jesus is willing to enter into all of this. I was watching this documentary on the liberation of Paris, France from the Germans in World War II. And once uh, the German forces had overtaken France and they were in Paris, uh, the people uh, of that city suffered greatly under their German occupiers. They were taking a lot of their goods, their food, and sending them to the German fighting forces on the front. Well, there were some French, they did not want to live in, under this uh, persecution, under this oppression. So they began to collaborate with the Germans, helping them. And so because they did this, they had plenty to eat, plenty to drink. They got 
to stay in nice places. They got invited to all the parties and enjoy the entertainment. They were living quite well during this time. Well, you can imagine what happens when the Allies, again, the U.S. and British forces, along with the French resistant fighters, they get to Paris and they liberate Paris. Uh, I think you can imagine what happens to these collaborators. Well, the French, they gathered up the men who had been collaborating. They executed them on the spot. And the women, they gathered them and they begin to shave their heads. Some of them, they stripped them of their clothes and they begin to draw swastikas on their forehead. That was the little X symbol for Nazi uh, Germany. And they spit in their faces. They slapped them. They insulted them, spit on them and forced them out of the city. And this is the kind of hatred and hostility which the Jews had for Zacchaeus. And Jesus, he embraces Zacchaeus by being his guest. And he takes on his shame. He takes on his guilt, his disgrace. And the entire hostility, the hatred of this town is transferred on to Jesus. This is a picture of the gospel. This is why Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, has come. And he's about to go to Jerusalem next week where he will bear the weight of his people's sin and their shame and their disgrace at the cross. This is our Messiah. But as we look at this passage, you were that traitor. I was that traitor. You were that sinner. I was that enemy of God. And Jesus identifies with you. He identifies with us, embracing us in all of our guilt, in all of those unspoken sins that we would never want to bring out for uh, other people, all of this ugliness, and he takes it upon himself. And he makes you the righteous one. He makes you a son of honor. He makes you a daughter of honor. This is the kind of Messiah that we have. This week, tell someone what kind of Messiah you have. Don't afraid to be childlike. Tell them the costly love that has redeemed you to make you Jesus's to make you a child of God. Give away some of this love to someone this week that doesn't know about who this Messiah is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that there is no one that is too far removed from you whether it be a shameful blind man or a crooked tax collector.
There's no one that cannot receive your mercy and grace through what you were, uh, did for us, Lord Jesus, at the cross. And so this morning, Lord, we worship you. Oh, God, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Let us declare your praises and your glory to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.